Hello, I'm Alex Coffin and this is Doing Good Through Food and today my guest is Lindsay Boswell, Chief Executive of Fairshare. Now Fairshare is a charity with the twin aims of fighting hunger and tackling food waste. They save thousands of tonnes of good food that would otherwise be wasted within the UK food industry and then redistribute it to charities and community groups across the UK who turn it into meals for vulnerable people. Um, one of the things that I really want to get into is and sort of you know, talk about and explain for the people listening is is the, the scale of both the operation and, and the issues that are um, they're trying to address. But to sort of just to paint a picture at the outset, last year they redistributed enough good food to make 28.6 million meals. Um, their work has received an awful lot of recognition lately and just in 2017 alone they've won Charity of the Year at the Charity Times Awards in October, um, the Third Sector Awards in September and they won Charity of the Year in the Environment and Conservation Sector of the Charity Awards back in July. So basically I'm really looking forward to hearing how they've done it, how it all goes on behind the scenes to uh, to deliver all of that and I'm very grateful to Lindsay for making the time to sit down with me today. Lindsay? Absolute pleasure and uh, no pressure after that introduction. Well that, that's it, I, <laughs> I thought I'd lay it on thick and just um, we'll uh, go from I, there. I think, I think that demonstrates that we're quite good at putting award applications in. Well, I think it, it's, not it certainly does that. <laughs> not necessarily quite good at um, anything else but, we'll, but let's see. Absolutely. Well, I thought we'd sort of start um, perhaps with an overview because it's it's quite a it's quite a simple vision. If you like, or sort of you can state it quite simply that it's taking yeah. surplus food and giving it to people that need it. But there's a lot, you know. As soon as you start sort of looking into into kind of what that involves, it becomes complicated very quickly. It seems to me. So yeah, perhaps and, um, you could sort of explain it. A bit. I mean, it is it is simple. So at its simplest, what we stand for is no good food should go to waste. Mm. But I mean, that's real motherhood and apple pie, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, of course, no good food should go to waste. Um, and, You're going to struggle um, to find people to no, but no, but no, well, nobody's ever gone. Yeah. Yes, <coughs> chuck I, it in the bin. Exactly. That's what we should that's, do. That's where it should be. <laughs> um, but um, and and I suppose the, the you know the key point is the the bit that we focus on um, uh, isn't the consumer. So let's you know, get that out there right at the very beginning. Um, so, you know, all of the data and stats and anybody who wanted to Google it, you'd find that actually the, you know, the vast majority of food that's wasted is in the home. Yeah. Um, but let's park that for, for, um, for, for a moment or two. Um, so what we stand for is no good food should go to waste. Um, what we then choose to do is to say, actually, we want to then squeeze as much social goodness out of that food as we can possibly do. And that's the bit about where the fighting hung, hunger comes in. Um, so by trying to say, let's divert that food, if we can get hold of it, um, to people who are in need, um, but then let's do so in the most strategic um, uh, way that we can possibly do it. Um, and what I mean by that is let's get it to frontline organisations who aren't just addressing hunger. Mm. You know, Alec, if I give you a meal... Um, you know, you'll go away with a you know, warm feeling and your tummy full, but in six hours' time, you'll be hungry again. Yeah. So I actually haven't solved your problem. Um, and the real heroes in the fair share story are the frontline organisations who we will supply the food to, and the food will be a catalyst for a conversation or a relationship with somebody who's vulnerable. Um, but they then got the technical expertise to identify, well, how do we solve your vulnerability? So it could be a drug project, mm -hmm. you know, it could be a, the other dependencies, um, gambling, 
or addiction, um, alcohol, uh, mental health, domestic violence, you know, people fleeing in the middle of the night because their partner's um, beaten nine-tenths out of them, uh, and, you know, and they've fled with the kids. And the first thing they'll do when they get into a domestic violence refuge is somebody will make a cup of tea and give them a biscuit, or if it's breakfast time, give them some breakfast. Um, and that builds the trust and that builds the relationship. And then the magic work is actually all of the specialists and the experts. So by diverting the food <coughs> to organisations who are then getting under the skin of somebody's problems, that food does as much good as possible. I see. So if it was purely, purely, purely about um, let's not have this food wasted, mm. um, then actually logistics and, and logic would say, well, let's go to the Department of Education or the Ministry of Justice and say, come on, why don't you, you know why don't you, why didn't you feed prisoners this food? Why didn't you put it into schools? Because mm. you've got large volumes of uh, of audience, um, you know, of customers who could eat that food. Um, that would be a most efficient way to do. Purely if it was just waste. So we're 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 slightly schizophrenic. Apologies <laughs> to our friends in the mental health sector, but we are, are very much about um, uh, first and foremostly the environmental side of um, when you look at all of the the nutrients, the energy, and the water that's gone into making food mm. to allow to let it go to waste is nuts. But then we very very quickly flip into. And let's do as much good with that food as we can possibly do. And that's who we are. I suppose there might be almost a danger of, if, if you were just giving food to people who were hungry and that was the end of it, there's a sort of, you create a kind of cycle there, you, a sort of a dependency, uh, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. So you're avoiding, is it in the charities that you choose to work with, you quite sort of consciously are we avoiding that? Yeah, yeah, no, we absolutely prioritise um, organisations that are providing um, services beyond food. Mm -hmm. They are our number one criteria. Um, and uh, you know, and actually, I, I, it drives me nuts that constantly the the sort of the academics and the researchers who look at the whole food poverty and the hunger sector, um, uh, you know, and, and try and advise government on what they should be doing, are constantly saying leftovers is not the solution to food poverty, mm. um, and they do it in a, in a, in a, in a, a way that sort of is almost implying that's what we think it is. Right, um, and and that drives me nuts because mm. that's not at all what we're trying to do. Of course, leftovers are not a solution. Um, I mean, that'd be a mad place to be. Actually, we want to get to a place where there are no leftovers, where everything is sold mm. and everything is eaten. Um, and if that was the case, then actually the charities that we support, well, go down to your local supermarket and buy the food that you need. That's the perfect, yeah, perfect place and solution. So it is a slightly barking mad world that I'm trying to, you know, we're, we're trying to, we're always trying to put ourselves out of business. Um, well, that, that's, I've, I've heard it said that that sort of really should be the aim of a charity, shouldn't it? You should to, to sort of, to, to deliver the goal that you're setting out to achieve, to yeah. kind of become, yeah. to make yourself obsolete. Now, the sad, the sad thing is, mm. um, you know, the reasons why people need to turn to those frontline charities mm. is because of, essentially, at the end of the day, human, human frailty and human mm. vulnerability. You know, as, as a species, we're deeply flawed. Um, you know, we'll stick powder up our nose, we'll inject stuff into our veins, we'll gamble all the way our money rather than, you know, rather than buy children clothes. You know, all, you know, there's, the, there's a whole myriad 
of uh, of reasons as to why people go hungry. None of it's to do with food. It's all most of it's to do with money, mm. and a lot of it's to do with um, health. And a lot of that, the health side, is to do with mental health. Mm. Um, and um, you know, huge links between mental health and homelessness, obviously. Um, and uh, um, you know, and so as long as there are people who are um, who are going to be vulnerable, and as long as there is food that is surplus, mm. and, you know, in fact, we'll you know we'll chat in a moment around well, why is there food that's surplus? Um, then um, actually, we, you know, there's always going to be a role for us. Sadly, yeah. they're knotty problems, aren't they? They're not well, going you know, you, quickly. Well, it's called utopia. Yeah, and utopia doesn't exist. Certainly mm. not in 2017 in the islands of the United Kingdom. I don't think that was a controversial comment. I don't think it was, <laughs> but we can edit if you need to. <laughs> um, there's lots of stuff I want to cover, but one of the, one of the things I wanted to kind of ask, I suppose, quite early on was um, the the food industry. We're talking about waste in the food industry as a whole. Who maybe we could break that down a little bit, and who who does that cover? Because yeah. for the, for people listening, obviously, it's like you just said. There's there is. A huge supply chain that sits behind what you might see and the waste you might see visibly. Well, yeah. So, where, so where who's, kind of who's wasting it? Who's wasting it? And, and, and why? And yeah. And I suppose. And also from that. Well, let, let's start there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, well. I think I think to, to put what I'm about to say into context, um, let's just talk about sort of the size of the problem, as opposed to where the problem is. Um, so we feed um, round about half a million people a week. And, um, you know, and you talked about the number of meals in a year and, um, you know, and it's just slightly north of about 25 million pounds a year that we save over 7,000 frontline charity organizations. Mm. So lots and lots of numbers. The one number that I think anybody listening to this, I really would love them to remember is that half a million and, and those 7,000 charities, that's all done with 5% of the food that is in date fit to be sold, fit to be eaten, um, I think the technical phrase is yummy, um, that could be redistributed. Yeah. Not, not, no, no, not, it would be very, very difficult to, you know, it really it's could. only 5% of the food that could be redistributed. Um, and so in tonnage terms, and it was very difficult to, to conceptualize, um, uh, wrap the waste uh, resource action program, the, you know, the, 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 mm-hmm. uh, which is a most amazing, fantastic organisation have done a piece of work that calculated that it that the volume is at least two hundred and seventy thousand tons. Now, the budget that they had to be able to do that piece of research didn't actually extend to uh, farms and the far- and beyond the farm gate. Um, so, when you add all of that in, because that's a very large area, when you add all of that in. Uh, our estimations have always been, based on our, our on our twenty three years of experience, that it's at least four hundred thousand tons of surplus food. So where is that food? Right. Well, the media focus on the supermarkets, mm. um, and in fact, a lot of the time, uh, the media will use the supermarkets as a phrase when they mean the food industry, mm. um, and that's because that's you know that's the bit of the food industry that you and I as consumers we can, we can picture, yeah, can't we? Yeah. No, that's 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 the only bit that we see. Mm. Supermarkets, as we all know, are a clever so and sos, um, and um, so they actually are pretty clever at no only buying food that they're going to turn a profit on. 
Mm. So less than 1% of the surplus food in the totality is wasted at supermarket. So this great focus on sort of Jamie Oliver's programs or Q Ferning Whitexdall or whatever around the bins at the back of the supermarket. Um, yeah, it's eye-watering eye volumes, but it's less than 1%. Mm. So the vast majority of it is at all of the stages in the supply chain. And, uh, and what I mean by that is the big grey buildings on the motorway junctions, the distribution centres, the packing houses where the fruit and the vegetables are wrapped in cling film and put in cellophane trays and et cetera, et cetera, um, back through all the way to manufacturing, um, uh, the sorting houses, um, which are one step away from the farms and the farmer's field. So if you, at every single step, the big crime in the food industry is not to be able to meet demand. And the driver for that is whether you and I like it or not, is uh, the UK consumer expects the supermarket to have whatever we want whenever we want it. Now, it's a moot point as to who made that happen. Was that the supermarkets driving our, or was that our demand? Um, I imagine it would be sort of both well, <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. But and, uh, and um, Well, I think it's because if you can do it, then the supermarkets will do it. Yeah. I don't think anybody... 60 years ago said, you know what would make my life perfect is to be able to buy strawberries in February. Um, <laughs> I think it was because it was because they were able to import strawberries mm. from Spain or wherever or grow them under glass, as, they, uh, as happens a lot in the UK now. Uh, they turned around and said, you can have strawberries in February. Would you mm. like strawberries in February? And, of course, some people Why said, not? said yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Now, who's, what's not to like about strawberry? And... Um, um, and so because of that demand for the shelves to be full, in other words, you know, if I go into my supermarket at 11 o'clock at night and I want a chia batter with little bits of olive or walnut in it, mm. um, you know, I expect it to be there. Um, so the supplier has to have enough. So therefore the walnut importer has to have enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So right mm. the way down the supply chain, right the way down the supply chain, there is this, um, if you're going to hit target, you need to slightly aim off. Um, and it all makes sense. Uh, you know, and Britain has, I don't know whether it's the best, but certainly we're up there as well with one of the most efficient uh, food industries um, as money-making machines, as supplying households, as being able to, um, the most efficient food industries in the, in, in the world. But at every single one of those stages, there are small slithers in percentage terms, which might be a, you know, a tenth of one percent extra. But when you're supplying half a million pies a day, um, you know, I can't do the maths on that, by the way. But but that's it's a lot of pies, um, and, and and you know, and that's the world in which we're fair share operates. So when somebody's you know offers us. Um, you know, 60 pallets of of a product. You think, how? Well, what has gone wrong in our, in 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 the in the UK food system that there are 60 pallets of yogurt mm. with three weeks date on it? Um, but actually, that 60 pallets is probably a fraction of the tens of thousands of pallets of that yogurt. And that and you know and and, and um, so that that's really where where it all that all happens. And it'll be exactly the same in the supply chain to the food service sector. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, you know, if ever, if if a 
Um, if a restaurant or uh, is is you know doing just in time ordering, they'll want to work with a supplier who isn't going to say, "No, I'm sorry, we haven't got that type of mushroom today." You know, they, we I need that. You know, it's on my menu. I want it. I need it. Mm. They've got to have it. <clears throat> the mushroom supplier's got to be able to supply it. You know, and so on. And so on. And so on. Yeah. And the genie's out of the bottle. I don't think we can go back from. But that, but that's a real that, but that's a really moot point. You know, I don't think we can go back to a world where um, it would be acceptable commercially for a supermarket to turn around and go, "We sold out of bread." Mm. No, you should have come earlier, um, because I mean I'm using an extreme example there. Um, but you know, we sold out of brown sliced. You'll have to buy yeah. a white sliced. Whereas, um, you know. Some time ago in the past, it'd been oh well, fair enough, and I think in some places within, within the country as well, particularly in the in rural settings, mm. you know, people go, I'm annoyed with myself because I should have come earlier, right? Um, and um, you know, I was in a I was in a, a co-op store in the West Country, um, in a market town on Christmas Eve, half an hour before it closed, and there were people shouting at the staff because they had no Brussels sprouts left, and. And they shouldn't have had any Brussels sprouts left. No. You know, nobody buys a Brussels sprout on Boxing Day. No, um, well, but, uh, and everything that they did have would, <coughs> yeah. would be for the bin, wouldn't it? And and um, um, and and the, and the great challenge is, is because because our food system is based around however many big supermarket chains that it mm. is, the great fear is that you know if Sainsbury's haven't got what you want, you'll go to Waitrose. If Waitrose haven't got what you want, you'll go to ASDA. If ASDA mm. hasn't got, you'll go to Tesco. Um, and uh, um, and therefore, there is this fear of losing customers, and therefore, I don't think the shelves will uh, will ever get back to sold out. But I, that's just a consumer, you know. That's not that's not fair shares area. That's just, think, just my. I think. I mean, sense check. it's very hard to sort of see the the route that there would you know the, the route you would have to take to get back. There. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be. You'd, you would have to start, I suppose, with with sort of education and mindset change in consumers but on such a vast scale that I, I don't know how you would deliver it and yeah I mean I suppose I could argue against myself a little bit in that I think because there's been a move over the last few years to the supermarkets putting many more what they call convenience stores in place mm. like sort of local high street shops small formats um, I think if I went to a large format um, Sainsbury's or Tesco and and they didn't have what well, I can't think they didn't have croissants mm -hmm. I would go that's ridiculous but actually on a Saturday lunchtime to go into a high street format you know mm -hmm. a, a local or an express as they, as they both call them and they've run out I go well that's understandable um, you know and it's the same thing you know we, we a lot of people obviously go to go on holidays in France um, and we're all familiar with getting up early to go and queue at the door of the bakery mm. to buy the, a fresh baguette. And by half past eight, they've run out because they've, you know, they've made what they need for the day and they've sold out. And we all go, I should have been here I earlier. I should have been here earlier. Yeah. Um, so perhaps there is a chink of light in there somewhere. Mm. But I'm not an optimist <laughs> in, in really that respect. Well, it, you know, I, I think it's, um, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. And, Certainly when you sort of talk about the scale of it going all the way down the chain. Um, do you 
are you involved at every stage? So every, every section where there's waste, what, what's your? Yeah, um, but we're what not. As, we're, but but uh, but we're not as involved. You know, I've said we're only dealing with five percent. So mm. you know, we're we're not touching the sites. Um, we want to do a lot, lot more at Farmgate, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, you know, although by far and away the largest component of the food that we resupply is fresh, um, fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, mm-hmm. um, milk, dairy, and, and so on. Um, that's an area we really, really want to expand in. Um, you know, we go back to the types of organisations that we're working with. Um, the demand for more fresh produce, mm. um, you know, is is enormous, um, and and hurrah for that because you know that's that's the best stuff. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, the, have you started to engage at all with with the farmers? You know, to get that surplus at farm gate. Do you? Because I imagine they don't want to produce stuff just to throw it, you know, throw it away or waste yeah, it. I mean, I mean, nobody, no one I've does never met a farmer who so goes, you know, I don't you know. Put all of that yeah. effort into... No, but but, but at the same time, I mean, I think we're all familiar with, although we just comfortably sit by while it happens, we're all familiar with the fact that actually, you know, farmers have an incredibly tough life and mm. the margins are incredibly small. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, many of the discounters will sell um, will sell fresh produce uh, as a loss leader to get footfall into their stores. So, right. you know, they're, you know they're, they're selling carrots for less than they've bought them off the farmer for. So they, so you, can be, pretty, push the so you can be pretty sure they yeah. will have tied the farmer down to as low a price as they can possibly do. Um, and um, uh, so there are big, big barriers there. There are big barriers as to how you access more of that produce. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and at the heart, um, we're growing steadily, and we're growing incrementally. And, mm. you know, and, and actually, if I, you know, if I was being very corporate and I drew you a graph of our growth, it looks really impressive. Um, however, the thing that will really, really light the blue touch paper and accelerate um, the redistribution of surplus food in the UK and reduce waste uh, is if we could get to a place where it, a grower. A, you know, a farmer, a grower, um, a manufacturer, um, all the people who are operating on incredibly thin margins, if they were in a position and a place that it would cost them no more to dispose of that food by giving it to us mm. than it did to put it into um, animal feed or anaerobic digestion mm. or shock horror, a hole in the ground. Um, uh, then that would transform. And we know that because France redistributes more than 10 times the volume of food that we do. Well, I, I, <clears throat> and that's something I definitely wanted to ask yeah. about because I've seen you speak about about that before as the sort of, you know, how, how we perform in comparison. And uh, sort of wanted to ask for the reasons. And, and the reason why you think that is, is I know recently... Um, the French passed some legislation to compel, I think, supermarkets to distribute their waste food. Um, and I don't know whether that's, but I don't know whether that's kind of across the entire supply chain, or and whether you think that would even be a good idea. To, so, to yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you, glad you raised that piece of legislation because actually, mm. um, you know, again, no surprises here. But what you read in the media isn't quite what no. 
um, so the piece of the French legislation um, doesn't require um, a supermarket to redistribute their surplus food because if there was no one who wanted that food, what are they going to do? Face a fine? Mm. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's an unenforceable piece of legislation. Yeah. What the legislation does say is it requires every supermarket to have a policy and a procedure in place so that if there is a local charity or uh, that can make use of that food, mm. they've got a system there to be able to do it. Right. Um, so that's very auditable, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, and... and uh, and provable um, doesn't actually mean that they have to do it. The two things that are different in France: um, uh, one is easy to, you know, relatively easy to sort of address and tackle, and I think it's one of culture. Mm. Um, I think food is valued more in France than it is in the UK, um, and um, that's an unprovable but and quite a contentious thing to say. Um, but. Um, but I guess you only have to look at the fact that 80% of the ready meals in Europe are eaten in the UK to, to say... That's okay. not a statistic I'd heard, but that's, no. <laughs> that's quite... No, we are, we are wow. the ready meal fiends of the world. Mm. Um, and um, but, but, but that's an aside. Um, there's a real desire right across the food chain, I sense, to not be wasting food and to do the right thing if there mm. is surplus uh, in the UK. Um, so I don't see the culture thing as being a real, real big issue. The big thing for me, though, is that um, if I'm a French business and I redistribute my surplus food to um, uh, the French Federation of Food Banks, who are the equivalent of Fair Share, uh, then the cost of doing so I can offset against my costs. I can, right. I can get a tax rebate. Um, uh, and in the UK, you can't. Um, and we estimate that uh, it would take fifteen million pounds a year in terms of some form of um, reimbursement of the additional cost mm-hmm. um, to be able to get to the same stage that France is, which is ten times the ten volume of food that we are at the moment. Now, the the bit that the bit that's mad about this. Is that the um, that fifteen million pounds? Then, in terms of getting more of that food to those frontline charities who are providing many of the services that you know are essential in our communities, um, the saving to the frontline charities is at least ten times that. So, our, so our our bottom line estimation, based on the you know the, you know, the saving that we currently make to frontline charities. And you multiply it up, is that it would save charities between 150 and 250 million pounds a year for a 15 for a million, 15 million pound. pounds. So, and I'm sure he does listen to to your podcast. But if <laughs> Philip Hammond is listening, um, there is the biggest return on investment of anything that you can do in this space, um, and we'll win this argument. I don't know when and I don't know how, but we will get there because it is just so, so obvious and compelling. Um, and, um, you know, and just to really, really make things even even, even more obvious as to why this would be a good thing, most of those frontline charities work very hand in glove with the local authorities and the NHS. Mm. Um, and the funding for those frontline charities to do that work has dropped by 40% in the last couple of years because of the 
financial situation that the country's in. Um, So leftovers potentially could be worth for the voluntary sector and frontline service provision um, not far short of the big lottery. So second only to the big lottery, leftovers. Well, that's an incredible, for for a £15 million Um, investment, there doesn't seem to be a... There's no there's argument a, against it. Or I'm, I'm not. Would you know what the civil servants it. and Defra tell me? No. Oh, but if we make that money available, um, the food industry will make more food and more will be wasted. In other words, they just don't want to listen. They just don't want to engage. We'll <clears> get. <throat> we'll get there. We'll get there. And actually, there are some green shoots of, um, mm. uh, you know, of, 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 of a response from Defra um, uh, with the current Secretary of State. Um, I've only been here seven years, but I think I'm on, I think I'm on five five different DEFRA ministers in seven years. So continuity is a bit of a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Michael Gove seems very, very keen on pushing his environmental credentials. Indeed. Um, and uh, um, it's great to hear him talking about food, not agriculture. I'm an eternal optimist. We'll win the argument. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think it'll make a massive, massive difference. Has that argument been put to you a lot that that really it would just create more production down the supply chain? It would do you do you sort of? I imagine you talk to the suppliers and other people that you that you are in contact with in the oh, supply they, no, chain, they, and they must they say, all say that's barking mad. Exactly. So no, I mean, there must uh, yeah, be no, no. nobody is looking to waste the food at that point. Is there a sort of? It seems like part part of your your kind of role as an organisation is, is sort of as well as all the logistics, there's a kind of advocacy element to it or sort of promoting the, these As, issues. Yeah, totally, and, totally. And I mean, is, is that something that you're and looking to do? that's why it's great to, to be talking to you. Well, I'm, yeah. you know, in any kind of small way I can help, is what I want to do as well. But it's, um, it, are you sort of, if you can get that message from from the suppliers, from the producers to DEFRA and to whoever else, that that, that is categorically not the case i mean yeah i mean we, we, i think we're still at the stage of where um i imagine that um the plastic bag lobby and the plastic yeah. bottle lobby and the sugar lobby we've got to get to a place where actually there are people who say okay let's have a proper conversation let's just understand as opposed to um i'm i'm coming to talk to you because i have to talk to you but I'm coming to make a completely opposite opposing point. Mm. Uh, and, um, um, and we're still in that very entrenched dogmatic um, sort of mentality. Do you think um, on both sides when these, uh, these conversations happen? Or? No, no. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm meaning government. Mm. Um, and, um, uh, you know, that, and that's why my whole approach is to say, actually, I want to bypass the civil servants and actually talk to talk, talk to ministers because, mm. um, you know, you, you, you can get um, conceptually. You can actually have a sort of fresh and, and, and you know, decent conversation. Mm-hmm. And Michael Gover said he's come. A, he'll come and visit us. Actually, his office said he'd come and visit us before Christmas. Um, I don't believe that. Now, time, time is ticking. <laughs> um, time is ticking, and he's a busy man with yeah. all of his Brexiteering and whatever else. Mm. Um, and um, uh, but you know, we're constantly reminding them of the fact that. You know, Christmas is not long. Only how many more visit days before Christmas? <laughs> uh, however many sleeps. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah. 
yeah, I think we've kind of set out quite, quite yeah. kind of well what <clears throat> what the issue is and sort of the way that you try and engage with it. Perhaps we can kind of talk a bit more about the logistics, the sort of, you know, the way that you actually try and meet some of these things. So, I mean, I, I um, before we sat down today, I had a look around downstairs. So we're in, we're in the Deptford Distribution Centre, one of 21 yeah. that you have now yeah. across the country. Especially with... Um, one question that springs to mind is, are, are they all of this sort of scale, size? Is, no, this is, is, you know... London, yeah. This it, is London, mm. you know, and, Lon and London's different, isn't it? So so this is a bit, bit this is a bit larger than on average. Okay. Um, and, um, but what we're trying to do is absolutely minimise um, our operating costs. So get as much mm. food turned over in as small a space as possible. Mm. Um, and... Uh, um, and therefore get it out to as many charities as possible. And, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, and, and in order to do that, I mean, you'll have noticed a large number of volunteers. Uh, and, uh, and and everything I've seen that you, you know, put out in the media and, you, you know, your website's covered in it, that they're such an important part of, of you know, or critical part of what you do, is it wouldn't work. They are fair share. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, I mean, the, uh, the, the team up here is, is relatively small. For, yeah. No, we've got a small core team who will mm. do, uh, who will, you know, who'll do all of the, the you know, the, the relationships with the food companies and, um, uh, you know, trying to generate the revenue to be able to, to, to run and operate the whole program um, and make a noise about all the things we we're talking mm. about before. Um, but actually, the vast, vast majority of the service is, is delivered by an incredible army of volunteers. Um, and uh, we desperately need more drivers right across the country. Okay. Um, and because you know the deliveries, you know, we've got sixty odd vans across the across the UK. Um, all of those are dri driven on a daily basis by volunteers. Right. Um, our insurance is quite an impressive. Yes, <laughs> uh, uh, amount. Um, and um, you know, so if anybody you know if anybody wants to you know impersonate white van man or woman one day mm. a week and uh, and come and help deliver food, I have to say it's the most fantastically practical. Um, uh, you know, thing to do, you know, to turn up at a community group and go, there's your food, you know, mm. and actually deliver it into the kitchen. Um, Fantastic. You know, uh, shake hands with the chef, give him, you know, do a bit of horse trading because we've normally got a bit left over and saying, mm. look, you know, can you do anything with these mushrooms? And, uh, um, uh, and actually you just find this whole world of folk who are who get angry about food waste and you know um we thought when we you know we talked to um we, we talked to all of the the charities and community groups that we work with on a fairly regular basis and we thought that the thing that they most valued was the amount of money that we saved them mm. but actually overwhelmingly what they came back with is no if we what we really value is being part of a movement that's fighting food waste because we get that if we weren't taking this food, it might go in the bin. And when you look at the quality of it, that's mad. And it must uh, be sort of, I mean, particularly, heart, you know, what's the word, galling, heart-wrenching for them, you know, dealing frontline with people who are sort of, you know, dealing with food poverty, hungry people. Well, absolutely, they get hunger. They, yeah, they, they see it. Yeah. And then for them to sort of to see the waste being, you know, food being wasted on that sort of scale must just be maddening. Yeah, no, I yeah. Think it makes people very angry. Mm. No one, no one ever uses. Um, um, no one ever says I mildly object to food waste. Mm. You know, it's always I hate food waste. That's mm. the second most powerful word in the English language, and uh, that you know that that makes what we do and the and the space in which we operate, um, mm. you know, really motivating and compelling. 
So we were talking about the logistics yeah. a little bit and sort of how it um, how it sort of works behind the scenes. So we were in one of the distribution centres, and I, they they all sort of work along a similar similar lines. You have perhaps you could just sort of explain how it works. You sort of you receiving all of these bulk yeah. deliveries in into this space, and you have um, this army of volunteers working to sort of to break these things down, separate them up, and repackage into it's into kind of units that can be delivered out. Yeah, so um, orders. Orders. You know, exactly. it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, well, that's, that's what I wanted to ask how the orders work. So you, you have, um, if somebody's ordering from you, what does that does that mean? Because presumably you don't know exactly what's well, we've coming got, we, in. Yeah, we've got, we've got mm. the maddest supply chain yeah. in the world because, <laughs> because we, we, you know, as you say, we, don't, we literally don't know what we're getting in. Mm. Um, and, um, but having said that, you know, there's, there's some things are reasonably predictable. So mm. it might be, we, you know, we'll expect we'll get some dairy in most days mm. because, um, you know, because of the systems and processes we've got in place. So logistically, what we try and do is, as much as possible, as we say to the food industry, said, look, um, work with us. We'll give you an absolute to-die-for um, data around um, the number of meals that you've supplied, the difference that you've made. Um, you can communicate that internally. You can make people feel proud of, to work for your business, um, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But until we've got that transport subsidy in place, we want you to bear the cost of getting that food to our warehouse. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, now, the single biggest budget line that we have is a transport budget. Um, so, you know, we'll, and because the challenge is, if somebody turns around and says, okay, I've got 25 tonnes mm. of mature cheddar cheese, um, and it's got a very long date on it, and you can have it, but I ain't paying for the transport. Mm. Um, so there's a brinkmanship goes on there, you know. We've got to have, so on a product like that, um, you know, we would probably then step in and go right. Well, somehow or other, you know, from the fundraising team, we've got to find the money to be able to do that because we can't, you know, we can't have that cheese mm. you know, dis dis disappearing into an in into an anaerobic digestion plant or whatever, um, and. Uh, um, but on general terms, we ask the food industry to bear the cost of getting the food in. As you said, then um, we will then um, sort that food out, work mm -hmm. out what we've got. Um, uh, we offer all of the food industry a total compliance model in exactly to the, exactly the same standards as any of the supermarkets do. We're, you know, we're regulated and legislated in, in, in exactly the same way. So that means that we... Um, we have to record every bit of food that comes in and we have to know where it goes because mm. if there's a product recall and there's product recalls very frequently mm -hmm. um, if there's a product recall um, uh, then we've got to be able to know where that you know where that product yeah. went to um, and uh, um, so we have an IT system um, that logs all of that food in and then we've got a bunch of customers the, the charities we've been talking about and we'll have a profile of each of them. So we'll know, to, you know, we've got a drug rehabilitation project and a breakfast club, um, you know, and the drug rehab project is a residential one. So we know that they're going to want um, uh, meat and two veg, mm. but the breakfast club isn't. So, we, you know, we, so we've got a, you know, we've got a profile of what each of those organisations is uh, wants and what type of products that they, that they want and, um, and roughly how much, 
how many people that they're mm -hmm. supporting and servicing. So we can second guess the order that they want. However, what we're not interested in doing is, is, is taking bulk surplus, breaking it down into small units of surplus, and then having half of that thrown in the bin. No. Um, so we will check with those organisations. And quite often they'll say, well, actually, uh, let me just double check. No, we've got 12 pints of milk, so only give me half of the amount that you were planning on sending me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that means that we can then roll that milk on to somebody else. And, of course, the other bit that we have to be really careful about is making sure that all of that product is within date. Mm. Now, this is a contentious issue um, because you and I in our own homes would quite happily, at least I hope um, everybody would do this, although we know that they don't, would look at a product and go, well, it's a best before date, not a use by date. Mm. Um, and I'll use my common sense and I'll taste it or sniff it um, and I'll use it um, or I'll cook it off and then freeze it, mm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because most of the organizations that we're supplying the food to are then providing a hot prepped meal and that meal is then being served at a serving hatch, the regulations don't allow that to happen mm. because ultimately the person eating the meal isn't making the decision to go, do you know what? I'm not fussed that those, I can't think of, that that cream was a, a day beyond date. Mm. Uh, that's a bad example because I think that's used by, isn't it? But you know, I can't. So, uh, some, yeah, a vegetable. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I would argue a vegetable shouldn't have a date on it at well, all. But anyway, yes. um, uh, and so, um, so we will only send food out that is within date. Um, so once the food has been uh, once the food has been sorted uh, and the order has been confirmed with the charities, uh, then it'll get loaded in reverse order into the vans. We use the sprinter vans, um, uh, that, so they don't you know they don't need a special license to be able to drive them. Uh, and we could take between five and eight charities worth of food in. Um, I can't remember the payload, but it's un just under two tonnes or so. And we'll normally have three volunteers who'll go out in the van so that actually carrying the green trays, which is what we use into um, into the kitchens, can be done much more sort of simply and effectively. And, um, you know, and the vans normally start going out around about eight, nine in the morning. Um, and we'll either be back lunchtime or mid-afternoon with the odd occasional run, um, if we can find the volunteers who can give up a full day, um, you know, which will be slightly later. But we tend to be a sort of standard daylight hours type service, and, um, and we're Monday to Saturday. Saturday mornings, we, um, uh, we do a lot of prep for uh, the Monday morning orders, so that okay. we've got everything up, up and ready. And it's the same sort of situation in, in all of these distribution centres, I guess you know. Mostly, you, you it's, it, it'll vary slightly. Areas. It'll vary okay. slightly from, 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 from one place to another, mm. um, but, but pretty much, yeah. Okay. You know, and, and those locations are all identified on our website. Absolutely. So if, if anyone's interested, they can look in there and get in touch. Well, even if, even <clears throat> if you don't even volunteer, please mm. go and have a look at our website and yeah. just understand a bit more about... Well, there, there's a huge amount of information on there. I, I, I can attest to that you know there's the, you really go into a lot of detail about about what you do and, and about the the problems that you're addressing yeah. so yeah absolutely um so could we, perhaps we could talk a bit about um fair share go which is your um it's our retail operation your, yes yeah, yeah exactly. what we've just been describing is effectively our wholesale operation absolutely, and, yeah. then, and then we you know we have a retail one and this is a relatively recent or a more yeah, recent yeah, sort of development yeah. isn't it yeah. so and and so so 
essentially what Fair Share Go is is about is um, you know, none of the food uh, that it deals with comes into the warehouse and, and, and is sorted and goes back out again. Mm-hmm. It's about connecting uh, individual supermarkets with individual charities to be able to pick up the surplus at the end of the day. Right. Um, very easy to say, incredibly complicated to get this, mm. to get both the charities and the supermarkets to do it in a consistent way and a manner. But I'll, I'll, I'll come on to that. And and the genesis of this is well, first of all, our mission around no good food should get away. So we, you know, there is quite a lot of surplus. Um, you know, I said it's one percent. So to put it into context, so Tesco have published last year's data around how much food is fit for human consumption and what happens to it in their mm. system. Um, that's that's and, quite, uh, a, quite a thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, not just, not just waste, <clears throat> but how much mm. of it was, could have fed people. Wow. Well, um, and, um, uh, you know, and, 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 so, and so their figures are that 5,700 tonnes was redistributed to charities, mm-hmm. 11,500 tonnes went into animal feed, Right. And eleven and a half thousand tons went into um, anaerobic digestion. So okay. there's still loads more to do. Yeah. And some of that is at stores, uh, and some of that is in their distribution centres. So mm-hmm. focusing specifically on the stores, um, what we've done is um, is roll out a program where we're helping tackle the problem that supermarkets have around this reputational risk of chucking good quality food into the bins at the back of the store. Um, And we're using that in order to connect more charities with more food. So that's about core mission. And that's the tactical reason for doing it. But Mm. the strategic reason for doing it is to be able to then turn around to that supermarket and say, right, you control a huge supply chain. That's where the real surpluses are. We now want you to go the extra mile because we've gone the extra mile on sorting out your your stores, mm. we want you to go the extra mile on sorting out your suppliers. Right. And um, and we're seeing volumes go up. Um, and so um, Fair Share Go, uh, it's run in partnership with an Irish tech startup called Food Cloud, okay. um, who are a, a magical, amazing, <clears throat> big-brained bunch of Dubliners. Yeah. Um, who have um, devised and developed the technology. Um, although everybody focuses on, oh, it's an app. Yes, there is an app. Mm. Um, and it, but the app is really allowing us and Tesco, because that was Tesco we rolled it out with first, to be able to see and identify how much food from which stores, what types of food, mm. what types of charities. So in theory, I could ring Dave Lewis, the chief executive of Tesco, up um, uh, first thing in the morning and say, well, indeed, he could get it out of his own data, and say, uh, you fed this number of tons of food, of which 28% was fruit and vegetables, and 72% of it went to people over the age of 65. You know, wow. uh, and uh, the data is... It's really you know, that, the that much detail. Are, yeah, the impacts. Yeah. The, and, and, and uh, um, you know, and that's the magic of the food cloud involvement. Mm. Um, but Fair Share, so Fair Share Go is what we call that platform, just to differentiate it from... You know our mainstream yeah. um, uh, uh, operation, and we've now just got to a place where every single Tesco branded store in the United Kingdom uh, is now connecting with charities. Um, I can't remember how many it is—three thousand of them or so—and mm. 
um, and we're around about 70 to 80% take up because obviously you've got 3,000 stores seven nights a week you know bit of yeah. a pro- bit of a challenge on a Sunday night and a, Saturday, <clears throat> and a Sunday four o'clock when the, when the stores close and, and, on, and on a uh, Sunday four o'clock and on a Saturday to, to connect charities um, so we've got more work to do on uh, around um, around Saturdays the key thing when we sat down and, and, and went through the concept of this with Tesco is we said, right, the thing that you're going to find really challenging is this is not just a partnership that we want to do with you. We want you to help us devise and develop a system that will work with any supermarket. Um, because from the charity's perspective, if it's one system at one time a day with one type of food product with one supermarket chain mm. and a completely different one with another, uh, you know, the voluntary sector will throw its hands up and give up. Uh, and what we're trying to do is sort of say, look, there's one standard model here, guys, and let's everybody um, buy into that because actually the voluntary sector will get used to it. Um, we can find the volunteers to then to then really sort of do and do and drive it forward. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's been a big, big investment for them. Yeah. Um, you know, multi-million pound investment that they've put into this, um, and. Uh, I think they deserve and should be making a lot more noise about the success oh, of it. Yeah. Kudos to them for, for that. Uh, and Waitrose are now doing it, Just and um, so uh, you know, we're, and we're rolling out more Waitrose um, stores in partnership mm. with, with with them. And watch this space because I'm pretty confident in 2018 we'll be able to announce that we're working with some other retailers as well. And um, you know, and again, this is this. This is where the culture change comes in the food industry mm. because it, you know, it becomes. We're already seeing a big change in behaviour in the suppliers to Tesco's, because the person that they're supplying is investing and wanting to do this. Mm. Um, you reflect what your customer wants to do if you're going to be successful in business. Early on in the interview, you were saying these sort of issues, this uh, you know surplus in the supply chain, is something that. It's very difficult to, you know, maybe even impossible to to roll back. But it sounds, it sounds like if if it came from the... No, it can be rolled back. It can't be... I don't think we'll eliminate it. Every time a food business does the right thing with its surpluses, it shines a management spotlight on the level of those surpluses, and every single business we work with wastes less as a result. Mm. We wish, as an environmental organisation, we could capture that. Yeah. Because that's part of our mission. Mm. You know, no good food should go to waste. If they're identifying, and I'll give you a mad example um, from this is from a few years ago. Um, we were doing a trial of the fair share go thing, mm. and I will not name the supermarket because um, to save their blushes. Sure. <laughs> they hadn't spotted that they were wasting large numbers of big bunches of bananas, right. and they couldn't work this one out. And um, and so you know, big bunch, bunches that were sort of ten, twelve, fourteen bananas in a bunch, right. big you know, big bunches. And it was only through working on the program with us that they realised because they were just seeing the totality of the number of bananas. Right. And one of their staff went, "Do you know what the problem here is?" And picked up one of the bunches and broke it in half. And that's it. And that was and the, that was the problem. And that was the problem because people weren't wanting to buy, buy f- fourteen bananas. Fourteen bananas. Yeah, that is a bit dur, isn't it? But um, yeah. it is. But I mean, I, but just just uh, yesterday, I think I saw a 
this surplus grapes or the cuttings of grapes. Mm. Um, this is when at the packaging sort of stage, grapes are being trimmed to to be put in punnets or whatever it was that they were doing, and and the offcuts were presumably being swept away and and yeah. got got rid of, and so. And because they were doing it on such scale, yeah. the offcuts were invisible to them. Mm. You know, they didn't really sort of identify. Well, hang on, these, of course, these are edible grapes, and and it, you know, but it requires quite a lot of re-engineering to then mm. go. Well, instead of chucking them into the into the waste conveyor belt that's going off, mm. actually, what we need to do is can capture those in the same way that we're capturing the main bunches, mm. um, and keep uh, it within the within the chain and recorded and everything else. It's the same it's, as chicken. You know, mm. next time you go into supermarket. Have a look at the um, pre-packet fillet chicken. I see it there. They're always exactly the same way. Mm. So what's happened to the trimmings? Well, I see them. I mean, if you oh, well. if you kind of butcher a chicken and you take the, the breast of a chicken, it's huge, isn't it? Relative to, you know, even off a relatively small bird, you know, mm. versus, versus sort of what you can mechanically do at scale. But, it, but you know, but every pack will be, I don't know, 280 grams. Mm. You know, and so they have to have chopped bits off yeah. to make it 280 grams. Yeah. And that was the genesis of us then working with a company called Facenda, um, uh, and uh, you know, and those offcuts are then processed, um, and um, and make fantastic food, and we're getting a level of protein that we've never never seen before. And that was an introduction. Um, well, in the Facenda instance, that was actually an introduction through Sainsbury's. They're a fantastic business. In fact, I'm going up to see them next week. Um, uh, we've just we've just been working with them for. For, um, for two years and so going up say thank you to all of their staff and doing the internal comms out to everybody who works in the in the processing plant mm -hmm. um, that actually you might not see it when you're you know on on, on the production line of a processing mm -hmm. plant but this is how many people you fed and you should feel proud to of the, of the difference yeah. that you make I think I'd like to sort of take it in a slightly slightly different direction now I, we you know we talked quite a lot about um, Fair share of the organisation, you know, the problems that you're trying to trying to address. I just, um, I wonder if I could ask sort of a bit bit more about kind of you you yourself. Um, before you've, you've been at Fair Share for you said seven, seven, seven years, seven years yeah. now, and immediately before that, uh, you were the chief executive of the Institute of uh, Fundraising. Yeah, is that correct? And um, I suppose I was wondering, or what sort of sprung to mind is that. Leaving the Institute of Fundraising, you probably would have had quite a choice of of directions to go in. Um, you know, of organisations who might want somebody who's got that kind of got experience. Possibly, maybe. Poss I, that's, that's possible, maybe. Possible, maybe. I have a reputation. No, <laughs> it preceded yeah. you. I, I, I don't know. It just it sort of. I suppose my question was um was really why fair share was it was it did they come to you was it just sort of a job that was available it, it, well, at the time, it, it, or did you okay. did you think i want to be involved with fair share and, and, and what was anybody it? who doesn't believe in fate or the fairies or whatever um oh. you cover your cover your ears so i um so one of the things we did at the institute of fundraising was um a major promotional program for the government around payroll giving right and and because we were getting funding from the government, I got a phone call on a Wednesday evening saying, "We've got a conference taking place in the in um, the offices of the, of the cabinet office um, in Whitehall tomorrow, and the chairman's ill. Can you could you please step in mm. and chair this thing for us?" And of course, because I was receiving funding, I said, "I'd be delighted to." Thinking, mm. right, what have I got to rip out of my diary? <laughs> 
and and it was about businesses, big business working with small charity. Right. And the first presentation was Sainsbury's talking about the uh, investment and energy and effort they put into helping put the systems and process is into this funny little charity called Fairshare. Right. And um, now I hate food waste and I've always have done. And I've got two teenage daughters who will attest to that. Right. You know, and the growing of food and composting and all. so I've got it. You know, I'm, 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 I'm sort of personally. I personally invested, you know, yeah. that that area really, yeah. really sort of has always interested me. Um, and the thing that I really loved at the Institute of Fundraising was actually if I could persuade government to, you know, to change gift aid, mm. uh, you know, which we did with one change, it was worth half a billion pounds a year. And so I was working on behalf of a wide range of different charities. Mm. And of course, Fair Share works with every frontline charity that's using food. Mm. So it's so whilst it's cause specific around the food, it's not cause specific around the the, the social cause. Yeah. Um, and so that was on the Thursday. I came home that night and I said to my wife, "I said I have just learned of the organisation. I didn't know Fair Share from Adam, um, but I just more than anything else really want to go and work for." And the Sunday Times that Sunday had an advert for the chief executive. <laughs> Um, and the silly buggers employed me. The rest is history. Um, so that was, you know, so from a you know personal perspective, I mean, I couldn't believe that they did employ me because I have no background in the food industry. But what mm. what they said they were looking for, and I think I've got a reasonable track record of, is trying to take uh, small organisations with potential um, in in a, in, a, in a social cause area. Um, and and help them grow, mm. and you know, and, and fair share at that stage, I think was I try to remember what it was, sixteen people or something. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, um, you know, we've grown massively since then. Are there things that you sort of took from the Institute of Fundraising that you apply here? I mean, are there? Um, yeah, common sense. Sort of common sense. Direct, Everything direct comes down to common sense, mm. I think. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I think business modelling is common sense. Mm. Um, it, it, so when I when I arrived at Fair Share, you know, I looked at how we were trying to access the food, and the problem was is you know there are four thousand major you know, major food manufacturers in the UK, and every single one of them has got a different way of accessing. You know, the door isn't in, in a different place. Mm. The gatekeeper has a different role. Um, you know, some of them are owned by others. Uh, you know, it's, it's unbelievably time-consuming and slow to try and build up a relationship with four thousand different businesses. Uh, and common sense just said to me, "said so, well, the people who control the food chain are probably eight supermarkets. Mm. So why aren't we working with the eight supermarkets?" Um, and we weren't really working with them because we'd worked out that that's not where the surplus was. Right. So were you originally trying to go sort of further? Well, so 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 yeah. So my pre so previously mm. it was much more trying to focus on 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 going directly, right? Whereas by going obliquely via the retailers, mm. um, and so all all I've done in my time is try and say, look, um, uh, you know, and different people have different views about um, the way that some of the some of the UK supermarkets work and operate. Is actually we need to work in partnership with those supermarkets, and in the area of food waste get them to become a force for good mm. um, and you know and partnership work with them the other the other thing is 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 I could not believe in the first three four months 
every conversation I had with anybody external is they didn't believe that there was any food waste. Yeah, all the evidence we had was there was a huge amount. Well, and any no people, anywhere people didn't, didn't get food, didn't people didn't get food waste right um, and they certainly didn't get you know I say to people that there's you know, there's nobody hungry in this country. What do you mean there's people hungry? There's hungry in Africa, but so wow. there's no comprehension of hunger and there was no comprehension of food waste. And I thought, okay, well, there has to be things that we can do uh, in that space. Now, you make your luck sometimes or, or, or things get lucky. So people like the Trussell Trust coming along um, and the building of the food, food, bank, food banks, the yeah. food bank yeah. movement um, and the politicization of the growth of food banks mm. help really shine a spotlight on actually there is a big issue out there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think people's, people fully understand um, the nature of the issue in the types of charities that we deal with mm -hmm. um, because it's just part and parcel of society. You know, like domestic violence and yeah. homelessness and, uh, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and um, uh, so it was lucky that actually, you know, it was, it was the right organization at the right time as well. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, I just and the other the other joy. I mean, I'm 57, so one of the great things about being um, uh, about being mature is actually I'm pretty comfortable in my skin, and I know what I know, and I know what I don't know, and I don't mind going. I don't know. Mm. Whereas when I was younger, you know, I didn't have the self confidence to do that. So so you know, to be able to go, why, or you know, or to challenge the status quo of something mm. is you know. Um, and then just to actually sort of back your own instincts sometimes. That, that all sounds a bit pompous. No, no, it doesn't. I think <clears throat> I think there's definitely something in the in the sort of um, you know confidence to say what you don't know. I think I think you know people very certainly kind of younger or kind of earlier in careers. You know, you're very very much trying to kind of prove what you do know all the time. And uh, do you, I heard it someone say recently that. Um, they thought the role of the chief executive, if, you know, if, if an organisation is running well, that a lot of the sort of the easy decisions make themselves almost if you've got mm. processes in place, you know, and good people working, the, things tend to happen. So the role of a chief executive is really to make the decisions that they well, can't make that don't necessarily f follow from the model or w whatever it is. It's, yeah, well, I suppose there's a bit, there's a bit around... Um, Actually, I think my number one role is to recruit the best possible people that mm. I can do. And, and almost without exception, everybody I've employed here is much more capable than I am. And, uh, you know, and, and you've got to be comfortable with that. Um, and uh, but then, then I think this, the second point is to try and give some direction. Mm. Um, you know, and I mean, I'll sum up what the, you know, what, what's Fair Share trying to do. France redistributes 10 times the volume of food that we do. It's got mm -hmm. the same size population. It's 26 miles across the, the English Channel. And um, and so as a vision and where we ought to be aiming for, there's absolutely no reason why we couldn't do what the French do. So mm. that's simple, straightforward. The more food that we can get, you know, our, our business model is each one of those 21 regional centres, we want to become a sustainable uh, social business, mm -hmm. a social enterprise. Um, uh, and we we work on and op operate on a bit on the basis of if we can get more food, then we can feed more people. So mm -hmm. we achieve more mission. Uh, if we can get more food, we can give that food to more charities, and we can earn more income, 
because we make a management charge to the charities that we supply the wholesale operation. Fair share go is free. Right. And we have probably, I think it's um, around about um, two thirds of our customers are operate on the fair share go model. Mm. Um, so two thirds of the people that we supply, there is no cost to them whatsoever. Right. Um, it's only those who would be buying the food who recognize the value of the type and quantity of the food, and we're saving them on average of just under £8,000 a year, um, who are happy to make a management contribution. And so by paying a membership fee, the more charities we have, we pay a membership fee, and the more sustainable we become, the less reliant we are on fundraising income. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no rocket science in any of that. Uh, and um, um, now there's lots and lots and lots of complexity and detail in there um, around how do you access the food and overcoming the logistics issues and whatever. Well, we've got fantastic logisticians and and we've got fantastic food partners who, you know, who, who when we don't know, we can turn around and say, how do you do this, guys? Mm. Um, actually, one of the things I'm quite proud of is quite often we'll have a big food business come in and say, we'll help you how to, you know, you know lean your systems or street. And then they look at us and go, oh, they're all volunteers. So you're not paying any of these people. Mm. Well, in which case our business models don't work. Uh, and, um, uh, no, so you know, it's quite, no, and, that, and that's down to the, the real, real power and value of our volunteers. I mean, mm. we, you know, this, our whole model just does not work. Um, you know, all those numbers, the, the 25 million pound saving, the, you know, the, the 26 and a half um, million meals, et cetera, et cetera. None of that would happen if we didn't have those volunteers. Um, so, uh, you know, and that's that's a big area in 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 2018 that we really want to focus on is is getting that message out and trying to recruit, make fair share much more of a movement. Um, you know, get um, yeah. that kind of I suppose says quite nicely. And so I was I was I'd like to ask you a bit about the future generally. I mean, we sort of talked about you know the vision and and the way that you see it going and and the the level that things are at in France and and all of that sort of all of that sort of thing um how i suppose what are the barriers to it scaling in that way are you you've got these these distribution centers are they how far could you how much more could you do through the centers as as they are and through the you know the structure that you've got in place is it so we've got tw 21 redistribution mm. centres. We think we probably need a maximum of 24 to get to have complete blanket coverage across the UK. Okay. Um, for remote places like Mid Wales and the Highlands and Islands, um, then the Fair Share Go model will be the 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 delivery model, right? Um, because it just doesn't doesn't work on scale otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, there aren't the charities in the Highlands, you know, you know to, to, to necessarily do it. Um, so, so our success is really about, uh, you know, which, which is, I think, your question led to, is about we need to be feeding a lot more people, a lot more food, out of the same space. Right. Um, so, twenty eighteen is really about um, really raising the efficiency bar of how we work and how we operate, and identifying across those twenty one centres. Right. What does best in show look like for? how we do X or how we do Y. Uh, and then if that is the best way of doing it, then let's do it in all 21 in the same way. And um, 
Uh, and so, yes, we need more, you know, bigger fridges, and we need more forklift trucks, and we need more people, and we need and we need more vans. Um, and hopefully, we're going to be in a place where we've got the resources to put those into place. But we really, really want to um, feed a lot more people out of the same capacity. Mm. Um, and um, you know, and, and some of that will be quite challenging, and and some of that will be a, probably around turning around to some of um, some of the depots and some of our volunteers and saying, look, we're going to have to work up and do it differently. Mm. Um, you know, I think in the not too distant future we will become a seven day a week operation. Mm-hmm. We'll need to be open seven days a week. Um, that's partly in order to just deal with the food, but we're still today in 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 the place as a business where. Actually, we have long waiting lists, um, so demand far outstrips supply. Right. And the bit that I think is I really, really welcome, and I can't wait for us to get there, but I think it will be very stressful, is when supply outstrips demand. Mm. And we've then got to really up our game to stop wasting that food. We will see, as you know, just, just logic speaks to this, we will see... The amount of food that we waste, and it's ran down at down at the sort of the two percent or so at the moment. We'll see the volume of food that we waste go up as the food volumes increase until we're able to redistribute more of it. Mm. Um, and getting those, you know, that that the synchronisation between the increased food volumes, the increased number of volunteers to deal with it, and the increased number of charities and and vans to be able to get it to them. No, keeping those three in harmony will be um, uh, will be will be a challenge. But what what you know what a fun thing to do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, so more volunteers. If anyone you know listening, that could be a direct, you know, absolutely, a direct absolutely. thing. Volunteers is a sort of an immediate immediate win. Um, but we need more food as well. So mm. people who've got you know people who've got um, contacts, which you know could be business contacts, could be relatives. Mm. Um, who are, um, you know, involved in and have influence within the supply chain? Um, please do get in touch. Brilliant. Okay. Um, I think we'll probably. I think we'll start to wrap it up slightly. So I just. Um, I think I'd like to just ask you what, if I if I say doing good through food to you, what does that, what springs to mind immediately? It means seems to mean a lot of different things to different people. Whenever I have this sort of conversation with people. Um, it, what immediately springs to me is to mind to me is connecting people. Mm. I, I think the power of food. Um, yes, there's the what happens to your body in terms of filling your tummy and, mm. and and providing you nutrients, but the real power, I think, is the conversation and the relationships that are built above a plate. Mm. Um, you know, to be able to give somebody some food and then say tell us about your problems or you know, how can we how can we help you come off drugs how can, you know etc cetera, etc cetera. You know, mm. about a mile away today that's exactly what's happening at this moment at, 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 a, at a drug rehab project that offers a free lunch to the user community in Greenwich and that's where they're beginning the conversation of saying come on use today to turn your life around mm. we can do this you know with you and um and what's made that person go and sit down in the first place is that food. 
Um, so for food, it's connect. It's it's the connections that happen. Mm. You know, in a month's time at Christmas, we're all going to sit down with relatives that we can't stand and <laughs> uh, um, and re- renew renew connections. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, not in my case. No, no. Uh, <laughs> or mine. Just get that, get that in there. Uh, and who, if I. You've actually, you've been mentioned, fair share has been mentioned in a number of these these sort of conversations when I've asked people, you know, who they think is doing something really good in the industry That's nice. uh, in general. I've, I've, I have okay. heard it a number of times. I was wondering who who inspires you? Is it within the food industry or, or you know, more widely if if somebody outside is the first thing you think of? But who, who do you think is doing something well, I can th- I, okay. I can think. I can think of two people who, if they'll allow me to say, are at opposite ends of the scale. And, and naming one of them probably is not going to be popular. So I'll start with the popular one first. Um, Sasha, who is one of the two founders of Olio, um, and uh, Tessa, her, her, the other founder, uh, business partner. Um, but I, I, I've only met Tessa once. Sasha, I've done quite a bit of work with, and I think. Olio as a potential. Um, see, Olio again is about connecting people. Mm. The medium is food, uh, and so Olio works very, very simply on the basis of um, if I as an individual and I don't know I'm going on holiday and I've got all this stuff left over in my fridge, I can post it on Olio, and the idea is that somebody from my local community will will say, well, I'll have it, mm. and actually I then get to I then get to know somebody locally. So yeah. you know, it's uh, building social cohesion. Or you know, making society better whilst tackling food waste is, I think that what they're trying to do is really neat. Mm. Um, and um, you know, and, and, and I'd love to see, I'd love to see Olio really, really take off even more than it has done because it's been very successful. Uh, and then the other one, which I suspect some people will find, you know, will 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 listen to this and go creep. Mm. Um, <laughs> but it's Dave Lewis, the chief executive at Tesco. Right. Um, Dave has only been in post for three years or so, but before he, before it was publicly announced, he took up the job. He, um, you know, I suppose he did one of these undercover roles. Mm. And the first role he was asked to do as a new employee in a Tesco store was to go and chuck all of this food out in the bin. Right. And he made a promise to himself that um, in his time as chief executive of Tesco, that would stop. And he's now the global lead on the social, uh, the UN Development Goal, Sustainability Development Goal for food waste, twelve point three. Right. Um, and um, um, you know, he sits on. Um, you know, he's done a lot of work with the World Resources um, Institute. Uh, he sits on the Consumer Goods Forum um, with his fellow chief executives yeah. of the other retailers, and is being really, really inclusive about. Um, wanting to tackle this in a serious way. So his top 24 suppliers, Tesco's top 24 suppliers, have just announced that they are all going to monitor, map, and publish their food waste figures. It's amazing. That's where, that's where change really begins to happen. And he, you know? he, he must have been the person who was instrumental in um, Fair, Fair Share Go as well. You said sort of rolling out to other... Yeah, I mean... You know, being, being something that you could then take to other... Um, other big retailers. I mean, if, if well, for, for us that was a that was a deal breaker. Yeah, you know, we, you know, we we um, we insist on working. Right, no, we don't do exclusives. We work right across the food industry. But another um, another chief executive might have said, absolutely, no. 
absolutely might have done. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing that he gets, and the, you know, and this and this is the head reason for him doing this is actually tackling this is good for business. Mm. But the reason I would name him is because I'm totally and utterly um, sure that the real, real reason he's wanted to do this is because it's just it's a morally, ethically responsible thing to do. Right. I mean, it sounds like seeing seeing what was being wasted that you know that really had an effect, and that that that's not a head thing, is it? That, that's a yeah, yeah. But I mean, no, you know, you know. You've got to. You, there's got to be a ruthlessness if you're a big businessman, you know. And, Absolutely. And, and, you know, and and I think if you know, if you look, if you look at the the changes that Tesco have made in its head office mm-hmm. um, headcount, there's clearly ruthlessness there. Mm-hmm. You know, they've they've um, you know they've they've uh, they've reshaped the business and and got rid of quite a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not trying to paint the man out to be a you know, a, a voluntary sector saint or anything like that. No, no. Um, I'm sure he's, you know, you uh, wouldn't be the chief executive of Tesco if he wasn't a very, very astute um, and, I suppose the phrase is, hard-nosed businessman. Mm. Um, but in the area of food waste, he really, really gets it. He's really passionate about it. Um, he's a lot more authoritative and, um, and educated on the whole subject than I am. And, um, and he's actually doing something about it, not just talking about it. So there you go, Dave Lewis go. and Tesco. You wouldn't expect me to have said that, would you? Well, I, I, I think you've justified it. I think that's. I think that's great. All right. Well, I think we'll we'll leave it there. If uh, thank you, Lindsay, it's been it's been, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Yep, nope. as well. Always love talking about fascia. Brilliant. All right. Well, um, if anybody's listening in wants to get involved, it's the websites that you would direct them to. Yep. I think fairshare.org.uk. Okay, so, so go. You just have to put fair share into Google. And Google fair it. share. Find out what's going on and how you could potentially get involved. Help. Yep. No, we've got a great tab. Everything get involved, else. and there's lots and lots of options. Brilliant. Um, All right. Thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Thank you.